Man, the book of Acts has been so sweet to us, hasn't it? It's been really good. Uh, and I knew that it would be. And uh, just so real, just so raw. And uh, today, the passage that we're looking at is just mind-blowing to me. Um, just how God's Spirit works and He uses uh, His people and He draws folks to Himself. Folks that are outcasts. Folks that are far away from who God is. Uh, and how He draws them to Himself and welcomes them to uh, His family. So, uh, if you wouldn't mind, let's stand and read uh, God's Word if you're able to. Uh, just in honor of His Word and in reverence of His Word. Read Acts chapter 8, verses 26-40. through Here's the Word of the Lord. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And was returning, seated in his chariot, was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit called to Philip, go over there and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, get this right here. How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the Scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the Gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Father, I, uh, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the power that it has. It's that song that we just sang, proclaimed that there's power in preaching the Word. It's not me. It's not anyone that stands up here, but it's Your Spirit that activates this Word in our hearts and it makes it come alive. And so Father, would You unlock the wonder of who You are through the preaching of Your Word this morning by the power of Your Holy Spirit. And when You draw us closer to You, would You conform us more to Your image? And would you, would you mark us as changed individuals as we sit under Your Word together this morning? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So there's an interesting story, right? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, could you imagine? Let's just say Philip's up in Caesarea. Let's just say, you know, for argument's sake, he's from Caesarea. And his buddies are like, hey man, where you been? Philip's like, guys... If I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, Philip. Like, no, no, just tell us. 
All right, so here's the deal. I was in Jerusalem. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord told me to go down toward, toward Ethiopia uh, near Gaza, and I met this guy, led him to Christ. The dude was begging to be baptized, so I showed him the water. And then all of a sudden, I was up in Azotus, which is 20 miles away. I just got caught up in the Lord. I don't know what happened. I mean, could you imagine telling that story to your buddies? The Spirit's on the move, and Philip is used of God. It's this beautiful picture of what God does. And some of you are here this morning. Some of you are having divine encounters with God through His people, by His Spirit, and you don't really know what's going on. For a couple of you, maybe it's your first or second time you've ever been to church. That happens all the time in New City Church. You're wondering, what in the world is going on, God? Why am I here? Why am I sitting in this chair? God is revealing Himself to us. He's meeting us. He's coming to us. He's drawing us more to Himself. The passage, the, the verse that I had us pause on is, is really where I'm going to place our emphasis today as we look at this. There's a question, a, a, a dagger of a question that's in Acts chapter 8, and it's, it's verse 31. And he asked this question. Philip says, hey, do you know what you're reading? And he says this. He has a very honest moment. This Ethiopian eunuch has this honest moment with Philip, and he says, how can I understand it unless someone guides me? How can I know what this means unless someone tells me? How can I know how to follow God unless someone shows me? And this is the whole thing that Jesus emphasized in His ministry to go and to make disciples, to have life on life. And he's, we get this, this moment right here where He's honest. He's like, hey, I don't know how to follow God. I don't know how to understand who Jesus is by looking at this scroll that I've got in Isaiah. Can you help me out here? And God uh, orchestrates this whole thing. Have you ever tried to do something that you don't know how to do before? Some of you are shaking your head. you got a memory in your mind right now. You're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Let me ask you a further question. Have you ever acted like you knew how to do something when you really didn't? You've done that before, right? Let me tell you a, a quick little, paint a quick, quick little vignette for you that I think will be helpful, and maybe you can parallel it with your own little story. Uh, I, I was living in Las Vegas uh, with a family. I'd moved there, uh, dropped out of college, moved to Vegas. That was a great, great, great time with mom explaining that one. Um, so I'm living in Las Vegas with this family. I, I, you know, I don't have two nickels to rub together. I'm just trying to serve the family however I can. I said, hey guys, you know, they, they have three kids. Uh, oldest is fifth grade, and, I, and then they have some younger ones. I say, hey, why don't y'all have a date night out on me? I'm going to watch the kids tonight. Now, I'd met this, uh, this pretty young lady uh, named Megan there, and, and she said, hey, why don't I come over and help you out with the kids today? And I was like, okay, that'll be great. That'll be real helpful. Uh, so, uh, you know, it comes to dinner time. You know, they're out on a date. They're staying out late. It comes to dinner time, and uh, if, I'm, if I'm honest with you, um, this is where it starts getting a little sketchy, all right? Because, you know, I'm, I'm an only child of my mother, uh, basically raised my mother. How much cooking do you think I did? How much laundry do you think that I did? Not, not a lot, okay? So I'm, I'm going to the cabinets, kind of perusing through them, looking for something that, hey, maybe I can fix that might be edible. And I find it's like, it's like this moment where there's this like beam of light that comes down into the cabinet, and it's a box of mac and cheese. It's like, oh! I think I can do this one right here. I got this. And so I 
open up the mac and cheese. The mac and cheese is, it's not one of those like Velveeta with the liquid cheese, you know, the, the manuf- I don't know how they make this stuff, but it's not real cheese, but it, it tastes like better than real cheese. It's not one of those, it's the, it's the powder cheese. You know what I mean? Like powder, how do you do powder cheese? How is that possible? So there's powder cheese here, there's, there's noodles. I'm thinking, okay, we can figure this out, no problem. Megan's kind of playing with the kids. Hey, I got dinner, guys, I'm going to carry and so, I, so I, I put the noodles in the pot. You know, I know I got to put water in, with the noodles and I start to, start to boil it. And, and I'm thinking, okay, how, how long do you leave these things in there? I don't really know. So I just leave them in there until, uh, for too long, frankly. And they're, they're like slimy, right? Yeah, you can cook macaroni too long. I didn't know that, okay? They're slimy. And then, then it gets really funny because uh, instead of straining uh, the pasta out, I thought, hey, there's powder. The powder will absorb the water that's in there. So I just dump the powder uh, in the in the pot, and I stir it around, and I'm like, "Hey, dinner's served." So it's like macaroni soup, right? You know, it's like hot, and I I set it out on the table, and you're like sloppy joes. I put it in the bowls, I put it out for the kids, and they set up to the table, and they look at me like, "What in the world is this stuff?" And so like they take a bite, and I can see them. It's like chewy's dripping off of their chin, and and uh, Megan's like, "Hey." You know, like, what, what happened here? And I'm like, how'd you make this macaroni and cheese? I, I don't know what happened with it. And then the, 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 the fifth grade girl's like, this is disgusting. What have you made? This isn't even edible. We can't even eat this. See, I thought I knew how to cook macaroni and cheese, but if I was honest, I never really made macaroni and cheese before. They still get a kick out of that story, and they still remind me that I didn't know how to cook macaroni and cheese when I was 21. So... Um, so interesting, you probably have a story like that too where you tried to do something that you didn't know how to do. Most of us have that story in Christ. We're trying to follow God, we're trying to walk with God when no one's walked with us in Christ to help shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. That's why God has given us His church and that's what we see in Acts chapter 8. Most of us kind of approach our faith in Christ and our maturity in Christ kind of like this. No, nah, I'm good, bro. I got this. I-, I can figure it out. It's good. I know how to make mac and cheese. And we kind of approach following Christ like that. And what we do is we kind of dismember the body. And we don't let the body function as it needs to because we're prideful. And we're prideful because we're unwilling to acknowledge where we are in our walk with God. The thing I love about the Ethiopian eunuch story that we're looking at today is he's been so ostracized his entire life, he's got nothing, nothing to lose. Let's turn to Colossians 1 real quick. It's kind of a, it's kind of give us a lens to look at Acts chapter 8 with. We do this sometimes. Uh, the goal, what's the goal of, of Christianity? What's the goal of following Christ? What's the goal for the church? What's the goal for the individual? Colossians 1 really tells us about that. Paul says this to the church in Colossae, hey, it's Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And get this right here. This is the the key. That we, meaning the church, the leaders of the church, one another, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That word mature means perfect, finished in Christ. Romans 8 says that the goal of the Christian walk is that we'd be formed into the image of Jesus. Well, the way that we're formed into the image of Jesus is by followers of Jesus, by the help of the Holy Spirit, being shaped more to to align with God's Word. So the goal is that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, for this I toil. What a word. For this I toil. For this I struggle. 
with all of my energy. No, with all of His energy that He powerfully works within me. Because the truth is, in John 1, 1.16, we see that, that the fullness of God dwells inside of us. And from His fullness, as we talked about on our staff retreat this week, we've all received grace upon grace. So if His fullness is living within us, and then we have this responsibility to follow Christ, but then help shape other people in Christ, we have this tension that Christians are living in. And the tension is this. No matter where you are on the maturity spectrum of following God, no matter how many years you've been sitting in the, you know, your butt's been in a pew, no matter, no matter how many Sunday school classes you've led, no matter how many people you've led to Christ, we're all on this spectrum. Some of us, and the spectrum is this, helping people follow Christ and then other people helping us follow Christ. It's, it's an ongoing thing. You never get to this place where you don't need someone to help you follow Christ. You never get to that place. That's, that's, that's not really somewhere where we get. And so if that's true, then we've got to ask this question. If our job is to present one another mature in Christ, we've got to ask this question. Where are we on this spiritual journey toward maturity in Christ this morning? Where are we on this journey? Now, this isn't a legalistic question. This isn't like, oh, look at, look at how many stars I got on my belt. No, this isn't one of those types of things. This is just an honest question that we ask ourselves. A guy uh, by the name of Jim Putnam wrote this helpful book uh, called Disciple Shift. And in it, there's this real helpful tool. And you're not going to be able to see it on the screen, but I'm going to show it to you anyway and briefly explain it to you. But it's been helpful for me to think about where I'm at in following Christ and, and, and where other people that God has given me to lead are kind of on this journey. And so I just want to show you that real quick. He says basically, look, there's five, there's five kind of uh, benchmarks in our maturity toward Christ. And now, now, granted, we're mature in some areas and we're immature in other areas, right? We never kind of nail it on our own. We never nail it in this life grow in maturity. He says, hey, the, the first place to acknowledge is that I'm dead in unbelief. Like, I, ca I can't follow Christ unless Christ has given me new life. Okay, how do I know that, I, that Christ is giving me new life? Well, He's given you a desire to follow Him. He's awakened your heart to the things of God. You have a desire. Okay, so, so then someone becomes born again by a profession of faith in Christ, and, and they seek to be connected to His body, to His church, where the Word is preached and where the body is on display. And you kind of move into this infant stage, okay, where, where your, your language and your behaviors, maybe they're, 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 they're really kind of characterized maybe by ignorance more than anything else. We're, we're babes in Christ. Everyone's there, so you, you don't have to be ashamed of being there. And, and that, that kind of stage that you're in, folks are trying to share life with you and you share life with them to learn new truth, to, to learn new habits. I mean, we've spent X amount of years learning how being discipled by the world, right? It's not going to come overnight when, when we're being shaped into Christ. It's going to take some time. And so we're, we're kind of babes in Christ. And then we kind of move into this children phase where we're, we're, kind, of, we're kind of self centered, just like our kids, right? We only think about ourselves. And, and during that season, we're, we're getting more and more connected to God's people and to God. We're connected with the purposes of God, which being helping, helping present people mature in Christ and being presented mature in Christ ourselves. And then we're going to move into this young 
adult phase where, where ministry becomes part of our life and part of what we're doing and, and we're God-centered and we're other-centered and we begin to be released to do ministry. We're leading ministry. We're giving ourselves away. We're willing to serve the church and to, to humble ourselves. And then, and then by God's grace, maybe, maybe one day we move into this, this stage where we kind of become spiritual parents to some degree and we're discipling other people. We're leading other people. Now, the person that's the kind of the spiritual parent isn't finished. They still got people investing in them. They're still seeing more of their sin, more unbelief in their life that God is dealing with. But this is just a helpful tool for me to think about where uh, I am on this journey and where others are. And I would consider, uh, I, I would ask you to consider uh, where are you this morning? Where are you in this journey towards spiritual? Maturity. Now, now the body is, is different, okay? It's not like, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a Paul-type Christian. I'm kind of a, a Peter kind of guy. The, the, the body's different, and, and, and God's gifts and His Spirit manifest Himself in us in very unique ways. So, we're not, it's not about uniformity. It's about unity in the Spirit. And so, so what this looks like is, is, is going to be wildly diverse. What we're saying is that God has never finished with us. And that we have a responsibility and our spiritual maturity. We see that in the eunuch. Let's pick up in the Scriptures back in, in Acts chapter 8 now that we kind of got the stage set for where we're going. I've got three things that I want to talk about. Three kind of um, measures that I guess we see that we could use to help us identify uh, uh, maturity. Uh, the first one is this. The Gospel um, is for the outcast. And I, I would even add in this, I was thinking about this th this morning, I would even add this exclusive word in there. The Gospel is only for the outcast. The Gospel is only for the outcast. So if you're not an outcast, you probably don't need the Gospel. The Gospel is only for the outcast. Uh, the, the second thing uh, is this. Everyone needs a guide in the faith. And the third thing uh, is this. The Holy Spirit goes before us. So let's dig in together now. The Gospel is only for the outcast. And here's what I mean by that. that the measure that we see ourselves as outcasts, as people um, that, are just, that are just needy and kind of, kind of a mess without Jesus, the measure that we're able to see ourselves in that light, to, to really actually think that we need Jesus, is the measure that we're actually going to believe. It's, it's going to be the same amount. The measure we're actually going to see uh, that, that, that God has actually adopted us and brought us into the family. So if you need Jesus a lot, you're probably going to be able to see that you have Jesus a lot. If, if you need Jesus just a little to help, you know, as a, as a kind of a to kind of get you through the tough times, you're probably going to only think you have Jesus a little bit. Does that make sense? The Gospel is for the outcast. So let's dig into this Scripture here. Acts 8, 26 and 27 here. Uh, really interesting. An angel of the Lord says to Philip, hey, rise, go from Jerusalem, and go down toward Gaza. Hey, bro, I'm going to show you where you need to go. Just listen to my spirit. Just start walking, man. Philip starts walking. Uh, it's this desert place, verse 27. So he, he rises, he goes. And there, uh, as he's there, there's this, uh, there's this man that's there. This man, think about this. This man doesn't even have a name. If he does have a name, it's not even worth telling us because his identity is not in his name. It's in what the, what the cultures made him to be. An Ethiopian eunuch. Okay? Eunuch. If you don't know what that word is, kids, ask your parents. They'll, they'll tell you over lunch. It'll be a fun conversation. 
Uh, a eunuch, a man. What is a eunuch? What were they used for? A eunuch, a man uh, uh, that has been violated in the worst kind of way to serve someone else's purposes. Let's be, let's be honest. Let's call it what it is. He's been violated. He was, a, he was likely, I don't know the details of this, but likely here's how it worked out. A young age, they took his manhood away from him. Emasculated him. To, so that he could more uh, faithfully serve the royalty of the kingdom. Probably an outcast, right? I mean, every, when you're a eunuch, everyone knows you're a eunuch. Oh, there's the eunuch over there. Let's stay away. I mean, he was an outcast. And that's why he could be trusted with, King, with Queen Candace's treasure. He was over all the treasury is what the Scripture says. That's why he could be trusted because where was he going to go? He wasn't going to fool around in, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the royal house in the palace. Wasn't going to do that. Didn't have the ability to do that. He could be trusted. He'd been violated in the worst kind of way. What kind of repercussions would this have had on this man's identity? You think you, you think something like that happens to you? You just kind of go on with life? No way. We don't even know he's a eunuch. That's what he is. He's an outcast. He's an Ethiopian. He's a very dark-skinned man. He's from Africa. What's he doing in Jerusalem? We have no idea. What, you know, on one side, he could, be, he could be Jewish and in dispersion. I think that's unlikely. I think he's a Gentile. And I think he's got some means uh, because he's so isolated and he's been so faithful that he decides he wants to go to worship in Jerusalem. He's got this burning question, is this all there is to life for me? Do I just serve other people? Is there, is there anything about me that matters to you, God? And then he gets to Jerusalem. And he worships. And this is just hypothetical. And maybe he stumbles across Deuteronomy 23.1. You know what that says? If you're a eunuch, you can't even worship in the assembly. You're unclean. Maybe he stumbles upon that. Now the Bible doesn't stop with describing the identity of eunuchs there. It doesn't stop. It, there was a season of time in God's people where that was necessary by God's standard. But the world says he's disqualified. He can't even enter the temple. I mean, what about the, the, the covenantal promise that God gives Abraham? The, the, uh, what about the, the cultural mandate to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth? Can he participate in that? No! I mean, how, more, how much more of an outcast could you possibly be than an Ethiopian eunuch? That's who this man was. He's disqualified. He's unable to be a part of this. So Philip, following the Lord, heads down toward Ethiopia, toward Gaza. I've got a little map here to kind of show you the trail. So if you look at the map, you know there's, there's Samaria, there's Jerusalem. So, so God called him from Jerusalem up to Samaria. We kind of talked about that a little bit last week. He goes back down to Jerusalem as kind of home base. Then, then we see this little squiggle line down to, to Gaza. Okay, this is where he's kind of kind of headed to on his way to Ethiopia, and, and I guess the Spirit tells him exactly when he gets there to, to, to kind of go and to, and to meet with this Ethiopian man that's reading the scroll from Isaiah. And then you'll also notice the kind of dotted line. That's where the commentators really don't know what to do because Philip was just kind of picked up and carried along 20 miles. I mean, what do you do with that? Oh, let's put some dotted lines there. You know, he's so, so you kind of see the, the the map of where Philip was was going with the gospel. So it's interesting. 
really interesting that this eunuch is reading the scroll of Isaiah. So he's reading Isaiah 53 when Philip kind of comes alongside of him. And he's, he's learning. Let's just read it. He's reading this part of the Scripture from Isaiah 53. It's like a sheep he was led to the slaughter. It's this Messiah. Uh, like a lamb, he's silent before its shears and he doesn't open his mouth. Why would he want to open his mouth? Well, because he's been done injustice. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Do you think the eunuch could relate to justice being denied him? He can't get his life back. He's done. In his mind, that's what he's thinking. You think he's able to relate with this, this suffering servant Jesus right there? Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? Do you think he could relate? Do you think his heart was burning as he was reading that out loud and Philip comes upon him? Or how about in Isaiah 56, which is just a little bit ahead? I'm going to read Isaiah 56, 3 and 5, which is probably the reason why maybe he was in Isaiah. Maybe it was the only scroll he had. I don't know. But he says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from His people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep My Sabbaths, who choose the things that please Me, and hold fast to My covenant, I will give in My house and within My walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. Better than the thing that you think you lost is what God gives you, is what He's saying. I will give them an everlasting name that shall never be cut off. You see all the hope this man is flooded with from God's Word. And so what does Philip begin to do? He begins to explain the Gospel to him. Starting with Isaiah. I mean, it, it's, all, it's all but saying Jesus' name in Isaiah 53 and 56, is it not? He's, he's beginning to explain the Scripture starting with where the eunuch said he explains the Word to him. Now, so what's this mean for us? This whole Gospel is only for the outcast. Do you think that you're an outcast? Do you, do you think that you deserve God? We're going to be on different parts of the scale. Some of us uh, in here, uh, you know, we just kind of pay lip service to God and we kind of come, we're a part of the church. I mean, I've been there in my life. Um, it's okay to be honest with where we're at. Um, my prayer is that, that God would not leave you there. You should be drawn more into a place where your heart is touched and your life begins to be shaped by who God is some of us are there. We, we don't really think that we need God. And others of us, we're just barely hanging on. First, did you know that there are people that walk into this room on Sunday mornings they are just barely hanging on? They, they, they feel the pain of being an outcast um, very deeply. That, that, that reality, uh, they don't need me to remind them of that. They feel it. They feel it in their bones and they wonder if God even loves them at all. And you know as we gather together as the family of God on Sunday mornings, that your smile, that your embrace, that your kind words, they reflect our Heavenly Father to one another. And as we smile at one another, as we greet one another, there's, there's, a, there's a, kind of a Gospel reminder in there. You're not alone. The Holy Spirit's with you. Give you a family. You're not an outcast. That's why we gather together. Because if we're on our own, we forget this. Even the, the, the ones of us that have the strongest wills, we forget this thing. And we 
We, we need to be reminded of the goodness of who Jesus is. When I think about this in our culture and in our particular context, context rather, um, I think about how, how good God is to show this eunuch His grace. He finds him and He gives him a new identity. He plucks him up out of that old life and He says, look, you're a different man. You have a new identity. But notice what He does when He plucks him up out of that. He doesn't take him out of Ethiopia. And let me put you in a new place. A new surroundings. He sends him back. The guy's not like begging, oh, Philip, you got to stay with me. What am I going to do without you, bro? He's got the Holy Spirit in it. The Scriptures say that he joyfully kind of heads on his way. Joyfully kind of heads in that direction. As I think about that in our church, I think about all the single folks that are in our church. Did you know that Megan and I, uh, when we planted this church, we prayed that there would be a large remnant of single people in our church. Um, in, in a suburban context, I don't know if you've thought about this or know this or not, but, but it, it, it isolates single folks uh, to a degree that, that those of you that are married uh, probably cannot comprehend real well. Uh, because what the word on the street is, is, oh, you're single, what's wrong with you? Well, see, there's... The Apostle Paul didn't seem to think that anything was wrong with you. In fact, it was a gift. So what would it look like for New City Church to remind our single brothers and sisters that you're not an outcast, you're not alone, you're deeply loved, and you're deeply cherished in the kingdom, and you have something that this church, you have something to offer that this church would not be the same without you being here. What would it, what would it look like for us to remember those types of things as we share life with one another? This eunuch is found by God's grace. And he's reminded that in Christ, he's completely God's. He's not that old identity. And he's free to walk into the dark place of Ethiopia where he's probably going to go back to serving the queen with a whole new identity. You know, there's some church fathers that have come from Africa. Maybe... Maybe Augustine was like a, a generational disciple of this Ethiopian eunuch, right? Augustine is from North Africa. Who knows? Who knows how God used this man to bring the Gospel to the continent of Africa? This outcast of a man. So do you, do you know that you're an outcast? Do you believe that you're an outcast? And will you cling to Jesus to the degree that you know that you're an outcast so you can see Him as King? Second thing is this. Everyone needs a guide. So we have, a, we have a responsibility in our maturation in Christ. So, so as, as this guy, as this Ethiopian eunuch is following Christ, think about this guy. He, he's, he's like, hey, you know, I, I don't know what this Scripture means. I'm looking for God. I'm headed to Jerusalem. I'm reading my Bible. Uh, he begs Philip for help. And then he's like, hey, he's driving, he's driving along the road and he's, he's like, hey, dude, there's some water. I don't just go ahead and get this baptism thing out of the way. I'm ready to go for this thing. Imagine if all the people that we discipled wanted, were that eager to follow God. Here's, here's, here's what I know. Maturity in Christ begins by looking within. Maturity in Christ begins by looking within. So, so this, this word for guide there is this word uh, hodageo. And it, Jesus uses it in Luke 6.39, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's this parable where he says, uh, it doesn't this parable, he says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they both not fall into a pit? And then he goes on to tell the story of, of the parable about, about the guy that's judging another guy. And he's like, hey, you're looking at the plank. Are you looking at the speck of sawdust in this guy's eye when you've got a plank in your eye? 
And the whole, the whole premise of that parable is that maturity begins with looking within. So are we looking within ourselves? Are we starting with where we're at? Um, most of you use a GPS. Uh, unless you're real old school and you know like Atlanta really well. Uh, which is like, that's maybe not any of you in the room. So, uh, when I use a GPS, I am notorious for this. I, I think, okay, um, I punch it in. And you know that the GPS is like trying to find you. It's that annoying like 30 seconds to a minute at the beginning that you're trying to, it's trying to find you. You're like, I got to go. And so you just start driving anyway. And immediately Siri is like, hey, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. It's like screaming in your ear. See, we get going before the GPS is kind of telling us where to go. We kind of get ahead of ourselves in that situation. I think we do this with Jesus as well. We think that we know what it looks like to follow Christ, but the voices of maturity that we've brought into our life, we've not waited, we've not committed to them, we've not placed ourselves in situations where we can help be formed into the image of God. So I ask you the question that I asked you before, where are you? Do you know where you're at? Has God shown you what it looks like to commit to a family of believers? Thirdly, this, the Holy Spirit goes before. I think um, the eternal presupposition of Christians should be this. That the Holy Spirit is working before we ever do anything. God is already setting things up. I mean, what if you walked into every situation actually believing that? God's already at work ahead of me. I'm not cultivating. I'm not creating anything. God is at work around me. What if we walked into... Every situation like that. John 16, 13 uh, says this, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you. It's that same word that Jesus uses, that same word that Luke uses in Acts 8. He will guide you into what? Into all truth. Because He doesn't speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. So He magnifies God. He magnifies the Son. He magnifies the Father inside of us. What would it look like for us to actually believe that the Holy Spirit has gone before us and the Holy Spirit is with us as we follow Him? I mean, think about everything that happened with Philip. If we just were to trace kind of this whole scenario, okay, an angel of the Lord tells Philip to go in Acts 8.26. He says, hey, Philip, you got to go. He tells him to go. Now later, he would kind of identify that angel as the the Holy Spirit. I think he's just kind of like, I don't know what's happening here. I'm just going to go. The Spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. Okay, God, I can do that. I'll go over to the chariot. No big deal. Uh, The Spirit prompts response in Philip to explain the Word. Hey, do you know what you're reading? How can I know? So he begins to speak. The Spirit prompts that. The Spirit prompts the eunuch to respond. Hey man, there's water. Can I be baptized? I want to mature in Christ. I want to be shaped into His image. I've been waiting for this new identity my whole life. Spirit leads the eunuch home with joy. Think about that. So how do we know the Spirit leads the eunuch home with joy? Because joy is the residue of the Holy Spirit. Joy is the residue of the Holy Spirit. I mean, Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is peace, love, joy. Right? A bunch of other things. Joy. It's, It's the residue of the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So I know I'm going long. Here's the last question I want to ask you. And this is where we're going to land this plane. What would it look like to let God loose in your life today? Let Him loose. What would it look like to actually 
to let God be God inside of you. To let His fullness dwell inside of you and move inside of you. What would that look like? I want to give you a picture that will maybe help you. When I think about us following Jesus, I think about the the disciplines that we develop to hear from God. You can leave that up there. That's fine. The disciplines that we develop to follow Jesus are like setting the sails on a boat. We're we're in the Word. Um, We're in community with others. Uh, we're, we're seeking who God, we're seeking God's face together. We're confessing our sin. We're repenting. We're believing the gospel. We're, we're we're seeing that we are an outcast that desperately needs a savior. So we're setting the sails of the ship. Now, can can a sailboat move without wind? It cannot. It can't move without wind. We're we're setting up everything in our life to catch the breeze of the Holy Spirit to blow us where He wants to blow us. I feel like that's what Philip was doing. God, blow me where you want me to go. That's how he just gets, God gets caught up 20 miles later. I mean, blow, God, take me where you want me to take me. I mean, this situation with Megan last week, show me in the, in, the, in, the, in the line at the grocery store what you want me to do, how you want me to live. Maybe at work this week, God brings something up in your life. I don't know what it is. Maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your family. I'm, I'm hearing lots of great stories about how God is moving in your families. I mean, like three or four this week. Man, i got to get up to this family reunion because the Holy Spirit's moving. People are getting saved in my family. They've been pagans for their whole lives. i got to get up there. Go. Peace be with you. Go for it. But you know what we settle for? We settle for this next picture. That way. We say, hey, I'm just going to use the little 10-power horse to kind of get out of the haba. Like I said, haba. I spent two weeks in Boston, so it rubs off on you. You say, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna use the little tin horse to get me out there. And we try to control and manipulate the Holy Spirit and cultivate our circumstances to line us up with where we think we need to go instead of setting the sails and letting God's spirit loose in our lives to blow us where he wants to blow us. Where are you today? And how can you be shaped into the image of Jesus without one another? How can you do that? Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this wonderful story, this wonderful narrative, this wonderful truth about who You are and what You've come to do to the least of these. Because we're all the least of these. So Father, I I pray uh, that no matter where we're at this morning, that You would convict our hearts uh, to respond to You, to follow You with our lives, and and to commit to the things of God, to set the sails, to let You loose in our lives. Father, I pray for those in this room that are, that are terrified about committing to relationships in the church. They've been burned so many times. Why would they ever put themselves out there again? I pray that You would break down those bonds, those chains that are, that are keeping us held in bondage, that we could see the glory of Jesus as we learn to trust again. Father, I pray that many would, would say, hey, I want to be, I want to be in discipling relationships. I want to be in community and missional communities. I pray... God, that you would help us to take those steps. Father, we thank you for your son and for this morning. It's in Jesus' name, amen.